0: Hey honeys, this is your host Marissa. Welcome to the Honey Health and Wellness Podcast. Get ready to unlock your full potential as I dive into all things health, wellness, spirituality and self-development. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I've got Jesse Williams on the other end of me today. Um, Jesse is a very, very successful business mentor um, and coach. You have a plethora of resources on your website, um, so much knowledge, even across your social media, um, so many questions that I have for you. So, yeah, welcome to the podcast, Jesse. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. It's so exciting. So can you give us a bit of background? So, um, you know, you are a business mentor, um, but what are the, like, I think the types of courses that you offer on your website really resonated with me, hence why I reached out to you and was like, okay, I really need to chat with you. Because I think a lot of the information that you have is a little bit different, I would say, to maybe your typical business course. Um, I think you err on the side a bit more of like that spiritual side of things, um, working with the Lord of the universe. um, Would I be, does that land for you? Would that be, I'd be correct in saying that?
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would say I'm very, like I always say, and it's funny clients joke that I'm the queen of duality because I feel like I really go in almost like polar opposite realms where like on one end I can do a lot of the strategy stuff, but then on the other end I can do a lot of the mindset stuff and really supporting the human behind the business as well.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I love that. I've heard this quote over and over again, that like success is 80% mindset and 20% like actually doing things. So I love that you're targeting, you know, mindset and strategy and like incorporating them so tightly together, because, you know, if you just have only, you know, the spiritual side of things, it's like, okay, we're missing a chunk of information here. So um, can you chat us through how you started Um, your business? Like what motivated you to be like, right, I need to create these courses. And then what was your motivating factor of what types of courses you were going to give out to um, your customers? Yeah. So
1: I actually started out
0: um, in the more like fitness mindset space. So
1: I actually originally used to be um, more of a fitness coach, but I did a lot of mindset work with clients because similar sort of thing. I found you could give someone the best nutrition protocols. You could give them the best training program, but if their mindset wasn't right, well, they weren't going to stick to it or they're going to have trouble with it or they'll be emotionally eating. So I always have been really focused on the mindset around anything that I did. Um, Mm -hmm. And I never at that time saw myself being a business coach or a business mentor. And um, I was just really focusing on building that business. And I, that business kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And I got that to a level where, you know, I was sustaining around like $30,000 a month just through my fitness mindset business. And people just started asking me out of the blue, like, Hey, would you coach me on business? Would you mentor me? And at the time it was so interesting because I was like, there's so many business coaches available. Why would you want someone who's not a business coach to mentor you? Um, and I just kept saying, no, like, it's not what I do. It's not what I do. And then one day this particular girl reached out to me and she asked and something in my body was just like, you should say yes. And mm. I said to her, you know, hey, obviously, you know, that that's not what I do, but I'm open to it. Um mm-hmm. Like, let's chat around, like, what that would look like together. Um, and I basically just put a, a price to her and we were both just had a really open conversation and I did it. Um, and then when she would post things after we would have a call on her story and I would reshare them and then more people would be DM me saying, hey, I didn't know you were doing this on the side. Um, right. So it's very, very natural and organic um, growth within more and more people. And probably for about a year, I was just doing it, like, on the side. Mm-hmm. Um and then eventually I was like, I love this so much and it's actually just what I want to do. So I just made the decision to close down my fitness side of the business and just go balls to the wall with business.
0: Yeah. And amazing, great choice because look at you now, honestly. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. I didn't know that it was kind of like this twofold thing for you. So first it was the fitness side of things. And were you um, just focusing on mindset in the fitness realm or were you also doing like nutrition and like workout plans and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. So I was doing, um, basically I had a package, which was um, fitness, nutrition, mindset. So you couldn't work with me unless you wanted the whole three. Like I was one package deal. If you want someone to just like help you with like a meal plan, I'm not the mentor for you. Like I really Mm -hmm. want to do it holistically. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was doing um, training programs, but the one thing I'll say with how a lot of the clients that came to me, they weren't there to train. They were there to exercise. So as an example, they're not there to hit the same reps, progressively overload, do the optimization. They just wanted to build a relationship with their mind and their body where they were moving consistently. Um, yeah. And that kind of brings over into the nutrition thing. I would say majority of the audience, and there were always people outside of that as well, but majority of the people that I would call in would be people who had poor relationships with food. So mm. from the nutrition lens, sometimes it was tracking macros, sometimes it was intuitively eating. It was always dependent on the client. But it was always from a deeper angle of how do we ensure that you have a positive relationship with food? So helping people not emotionally eat, um, helping people who were had like binging tendencies or under-eating tendencies and things like that, or, mm-hmm. you know, feared certain food groups and things and just bringing them into more neutrality around food.
0: Wow, that's very interesting. So, you know, one in the same but a little bit of a shift there. So I can definitely see how that carried over for you. That's an interesting journey. I feel like it would be... Um, It'd be good to know, like, are there in terms of like the clients that you had with fitness and now the clients that you have in business, do you find that there's common um, like limiting beliefs that people hold? Like, are you finding that, you know, you're hearing similar things from, you know, what people are concerned about, why they perceive that they can't grow or progress or, or things like that?
1: I think a lot of stuff comes down to internal limitations um and that mm-hmm. come to yeah like uh, like stories that you've created around yourself i would say a lot more of stuff that i did um in the nutrition and mindset side was more like in a child healing, rewiring beliefs, and things like that. Um, whereas mm-hmm. a lot more of what I do in the business element is more seeing things from a shadow lens. So, um, mm-hmm. more taking like a shadow work approach to things, a little bit of more like unconscious gain and stuff like that. In terms mm-hmm. of common themes, um, I would just say one that I've seen across the board is always people's uh, concept of self. So who Mm. they believe they are and how they believe other people are going to perceive them um, Mm. and not wanting to look a certain way or, you know, fail, be embarrassed, be rejected, be abandoned. So it's like, it doesn't matter what, whether it's mindset, whether it's fitness, whether it's business, at the end of the day, people are always going to have limitations around, you know, feeling somewhat stuck if Mm they, how they fear that someone's going to perceive them as a result of what they do or don't do um, keeps getting in the way of where they're at.
0: That's really interesting. So I guess it comes down to that, you know, self-esteem, like the way that you feel about yourself. And I guess the way you think other people perceive you. So it's like, how would you, um, like, how do you manage your own like self-esteem or manage probably isn't the best word. Like, how do you um, like grow and tend to your self-esteem so that you are, um, strong and like all those areas of life? And like, how would you guide your clients in improving their self-esteem? Yes. Yeah, so I would say a couple of areas. The
1: first one is looking at like, what do I actually need to strengthen? So like where is mm-hmm part of me that's dropping into doubt, a part of me that's dropping into insecurity, a part of me that's dropping into overwhelm, whatever the thing is, and what's actually required of me to strengthen in order be, to be able to feel solid in that area. And it's working yeah. on strengthening that area. Um, and then I would say one of the biggest things that honestly has brought me into deeper levels of confidence is actually been just expanding my emotional intelligence. So yeah. my ability to feel an emotion, but actually be able to manage that emotion in a way that I can make decisions for myself in a grounded and anchored. Way. And that's Mm. always mirrored back. And the more that I've been able to handle a situation with high levels of emotional intelligence, that's built more evidence of what it is I was wanting to build evidence for. And that ultimately makes me feel good. So even putting it in like the simplest term, it's always just like, how do I be someone that I would actually be proud of? So if there's yeah. an, answer, like, I'm not feeling confident right now, well, what am I doing? That's making me feel like I'm like not confident or who am I being, or what's my behavior where there's a mm-hmm. part of me that there's truth to my lack of confidence, you know? So I always worked from things from a level of, and it's a little bit of like tough love sort of approach, but it's always looking at, if I actually was really fucking proud of the actions I'm taking, of how I'm leading my life, of the decisions that I'm making, that how I'm like navigating situations, I probably would be confident. Like if I actually, that fuck, I'm I'm so proud of how I show up for my body. Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of how I show up in my relationships and my friendships. Mm -hmm. You looked across the board in, in money, career, business, health, friendships, relationships, and you truly felt like you were showing up as like, you know, fucking incredible across the board, that's naturally going to increase your confidence. So we always get to look at, you know, for me, where is there truth to my lack of confidence and how do I rectify it?
0: Very interesting. I can imagine that's a very like empowering journey to go on. And I think what I pick up on from your like response to that is that a lot of it comes down to your self-talk. Cause Mm -hmm. it's like, I think a lot of times, you know, I'll speak to friends or something like that. And they'll say something like, you know, how are you so confident or how did you do this? And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, it comes down to what you're saying in your head, because you could be like a multimillionaire, have all these businesses and people could envy your situation. But it's like, if you're still talking to yourself, like you are accomplished nothing, it's like, it's so interesting how much of your language actually impacts your self-esteem and then of course you end up matching your actions to those words that you're saying about yourself which is what you were saying so um yeah yeah, very powerful that's really interesting and I can imagine it takes do you think it takes time for people to build self-esteem or do you I mean that's a limiting belief in itself isn't it because it's like well you can just change who you are right Yeah, I feel like there's two lenses of one of like, if you've got low
1: self-esteem, like working on like the areas that you you actually want to strengthen. And also coming back to kind of what you asked before around like, you know, trending themes across the board and things like that. If I was to say one of the biggest, and and there can be multiple, one of the biggest limitations to people actually being able to be confident or um, grow in any area, it's those that are uh, continually shaming themselves. So when we look at shaming, shaming is a really convenient way to not have to move forward, to not have to grow and to not have to take responsibility because mm-hmm. if we're caught in a self-shaming cycle of like, oh, my God, I'm just so this and I'm so that. We're so fucking busy shaming ourselves that no part of us is actually taking responsibility for fixing it. So mm-hmm. from, again, like a, an unconscious level, this is where a lot of the time if people actually on and any journey you want to go on where you find you keep wobbling, if you actually commit to, no matter what happens, I'm not going to fucking shame myself and instead I'm going to transmit that shame into responsibility, people will grow 10 times faster and then what can happen is people shame themselves for shaming themselves. So they're oh, I'm doing that shaming thing again. But again, it's distraction. So shaming is a huge, huge, huge distraction tool when we look at ego and things like that. So when you actually utilize that that's shaming in itself is probably one of the biggest forms of self-sabotage, you actually Mm. get to come back into, okay, well, if I'm not shaming myself, what do I have? Like I'm gonna have to come back into just looking at this situation for what it is. And then part of me is gonna have to take responsibility for rectifying that as well.
0: That's so interesting. Shame is a very, um, very strong emotion. Like it's a very um it's heavy. Like it's a very heavy emotion. Like it's even, you know, beneath anger. Like even if you're angry, you're like higher up to being happy. But shame is such a um, you know, deep emotion to feel. So it's very, I, I mean, it's totally believable because I, it, what you're saying, I've experienced that as well. Like I'm sure so many people can definitely relate to what you're saying, but, um, I think there's like that level of like that learnt help helplessness like, and I, um, I, I hear it a lot with people where they are just like, oh, there's just nothing I can do about it. Or there's just, oh, I don't know. Like it's, yeah, it's like this self like pity, like shame, um, kind of attitude. And, and again, it comes down to like the words you're saying to yourself. But um, yeah, that's an interesting one. How do you like as a coach, like work with clients to work through shame? Because I think it's a very... Like, you know, as a coach, I imagine that you want to, obviously your main role is to like elevate and lift your clients up. So it's like, how do you find that balance of trying to, you know, figure out where they're coming from and like reach into what emotion they're feeling, but also not settling into their emotion and being like, yeah, you're so right. You're like, because that's a hard balance. You've got to be like, yeah, I get it. But like, we got to go over here. So it's like, how do you navigate that with your clients?
1: Yeah. So I guess the first thing I would approach that question with is there's going to be a lot of nuance there. And there's also going to have to be a lot of discernment when we're speaking around the topic of change and uh, sorry, shame. And as you said, mm-hmm. it's very, very emotionally charged conversation. So how I would have used to, um, you know, how a, how a trauma therapist is going to approach shame is going to be very different to how I approach shame. And no, none is right, wrong, superior. It's like, what's your area of expertise? What's your client? What's your mentorship style? So in the past, you know, I would have looked at things around like inner child healing and like where, um, you know, like, what situations happen that put them into shame and like what are they still carrying that doesn't need to be theirs and a lot of more of like a, a loving and gentle and nurturing approach. And I would say now my approach can be a little bit more direct and again, and that's partially because I do everything from a shadow level. So I work predominantly with ego. So anything mm-hmm. that I'm looking at with, uh, in the realm of shame, I'm approaching it from an angle of how um, the, our shame is serving our ego. Um mm-hmm. So that can feel a little bit more um like a little cheeky slap sometimes. Yes. But it's always again coming from the lens of predominantly my clients and business clients. So it's a different person in a different level where their approach to shame is going to be partially different. So with that being said, if someone comes to me and there's a shame thing, I'm always going to look at that from a shadow level and I'm always going to look at that from an ego level of how holding on to shame is serving them. Mm-hmm. And so that's even asking questions of like, if you didn't, if you weren't experiencing shame right now, what instead would you have to feel, see, notice be? So it's staying mm-hmm. away, what's actually sitting there? oh, yeah. I'm actually feeling guilt around this. I'm actually disappointed that I replayed that pattern. I'm actually, that's where we start getting language and articulation for what's actually below that. But shame is, and this is where you can start seeing shame so convenient. It's a blanket mm-hmm. word. We get to say suck in the feeling. We get to say suck in the emotion. What the fuck do you do with shame? Yeah. <laughs> How do I I, I even do with that? So people get to sit in it and as a result, they actually don't have to change and they don't have to move from that because they can just sit in the feeling. So this is where we even look at, okay, when we remove shame, what's actually there? And then you can approach that based on what comes up for the client, what kind of language is there, articulation is there, and what their experience is when they don't have
0: that okay there's a lot in that that's that's really interesting I want to um just loop back to the word ego that you use because I think you also and this is a question that I definitely want to get to with you is you talk about um understanding the ego in order to um sell yeah. appropriately and to sell to the ego I'll let you um like articulate that one um a little bit like in a second but um I want to know what you're when you're saying I'm addressing the ego, because I think some people think, oh, the ego is just all bad. It's just like this, you know, menace in our head. But like, can you explain what you mean by addressing the ego? And, you know, I, then I guess you could roll into like, what like role does the ego play in the decisions we make in our life? And how does that affect our business?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you you kind of brought that up. And in the context that you did, because the ego gets so, so demonized. Mm. And it's actually like, very, very good at protecting us. And it's also very, very good at on some level. um, And I'll contradict myself because partially the ego doesn't like change, but also it can help us move and progress and evolve um, as humans. So Mm a lot of the work I do with ego is around concept of self. So it's really a lot of um, around the work of who do you think you are? How do you perceive yourself? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you aren't? What do you Mm -hmm. think? wrong in the world what do you think is right how do you think what what's your assumption of how people should be and should act and should present themselves and how should they not be and should, should not present themselves So a lot of that work is in people uncovering um, the parts of themselves that they've identified as this is me. And usually when someone has a strong concept of self, there's also then going to be rejected parts of I'm not that. And usually when we look at from a shadow level, that's a lot of the parts of people that they uh, suppress and avoid being. So Mm -hmm. when we dive into shadow work, that's a lot of the stuff that we look at. Um, So even from a selling perspective, there's going to be different realms. There's going to be understanding uh, your client or your audience decision-making, which is going to require ego, but then also your ego is going to show up in your business. Because if there is a part of you where you don't want to be perceived as a certain way, so um, let's say, for example, you think that you're not a pushy or a sleazy person and you have a story that if I sell too many times, that makes me pushy, that makes me sleazy. And then someone's going to think that I'm desperate. You're not going to sell multiple times because there's a part of you that goes, I don't want to be perceived as desperate. So you actually hold back in that. When you speak around the part of, um, you know, and not being all bad and wrong. Our ego also, whilst it can be wrong at times, it's also the part of us that determines who we are. So if we have a concept of self, I'm this person, I'm not that person. If we didn't have an ego, we couldn't make decisions, period. Because Mm -hmm. if you didn't have a construct of this is who I am, how would you know what kind of relationship you want and what you need in a relationship? Mm -hmm. How do you know what career you want to pursue or what business you want to build? How do you determine what your relationship to money is? Like you couldn't have friendships. What kind of people do you like? What kind of people are you drawn to? What actually is valuable in friendship with you? So when we look at ego, it's our whole identity of who we are and who we believe the world is, what we think is right and what we think is wrong. So Mm -hmm. if we have a strong concept, of ourselves, then it allows us to make decisions. I want to be in this kind of relationship. I want this for myself. I want that business. This aligns with me. So there's also the, the bring thing that we get to bring in of that is if you didn't have an ego, how would you know what's in alignment? So mm. it really is looking at our construct of ourself. Where there's issues though, what I'll say is when people lack awareness of their ego and take everything as very, very black and white of this is who I am and I'm not anything outside of that. But so long as mm-hmm. you're always bringing in and this is what self-awareness, is, awareness of self, then yep. your ego gets to be a fluid thing where it's, this is who I am in this present moment, mm-hmm. then that can also be changed.
0: That was a very, very great explanation. I feel like that very, like, yeah, it, it really just brings it down to ground level. Sometimes I've asked that question to some people before and I'm like, now I'm confused and I know what you're talking about. So yeah, <laughs> that was a really um, amazing way to um, to put it there. And, I mean, I think just, like, talking to you now, I can see, like, the work you do takes a lot of, like, energy and passion. Like, you can't, like, roll up to work being, like, half here, half there, like on a Zoom meeting, like, hey, how are you going? Like I would imagine that your energy levels need to be, you know, pretty well sustained throughout the days that you're chatting with your clients. So where does like your passion come from helping people with this stuff? Because you have to be passionate to want to dive into other people's shadow work. Like it's hard enough dealing with your own shit, like let alone being like, so what's happening with you today? So it's like, where did that come about like where is that drive and how did it um how did it like eventuate into wanting to work with clients one-on-one
1: yeah in the most simplest of terms and to Mm -hmm. just like feel it all the way back to the basics it's very much I want to leave people better than I found them and I know that's very very cliche but honestly it feels so just within my fucking DNA um Mm -hmm. and again I've I've evolved as a coach and a mentor of how I approach things like I said in the past I used to do like a lot of um you know more somatic work and NLP and I used to do inner child healing and now it's like very very hard direct blind spots like um you know I we always say like cheeky slaps but Mm -hmm. that's kind of like my approach but ultimately even when I'm being direct it's always rooted in love it's always Mm -hmm. hey like I'm gonna be direct or you're gonna hate me in this or you're gonna view me as like the bitch or you're gonna you're not gonna like me for five minutes but ultimately you're going to see something in yourself that you didn't see before and you're Mm -hmm. going to come out the other side having evolved from that so um my my thing is like and I think this is really important in, in the work that I do sometimes I do need to hold projections of someone thinking that you know again, that she's the bitch or whatever, but all of my clients know how deeply rooted that is in love. And ultimately Mm. that's all I want is like, I want whatever our experience is together, you to leave it feeling like, you know, more, you know, yourself more, you have more control over a situation you've evolved in some way. And I just honestly feel like I've done my job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's definitely something that I think, um, not everybody is is called to do so I think um yeah it's a really good explanation of I mean yeah I'm it's a great way to live I guess and it's not cliche at all I guess in any case you want to leave people better than what you found them and I think the work that you do is so fundamental in being able um for other people to do that as well you know yeah. like once they understand themselves they're then able to you know affect other people's lives positively Um, Could you chat a little bit about the attachment styles? Um, I think maybe some people that are listening may or may not be familiar with attachment styles, but if you could give like a really mini breakdown on the attachment styles and how they influence um, sales and and business, because I think that's just such a fascinating concept. I never would have thought of that.
1: Yeah. So um, attachment styles, basically, it's usually used in the realm of uh, personal development, specifically around when we're looking at healing relationships. A lot of people start looking into attachment style work when they're in a relationship and they're finding things coming up. And that can be uh, platonic, but also can be intimate and romantic as well. But usually people find that their patterns come up and that's usually what explores them to start looking at attachment styles. So attachment styles are usually, they're, they're pretty much... Um, the style that we tend to resort to in attachment within a relationship that we learned basically in infancy. So it's usually a start as like as little as you being one day old. That's really Mm -hmm. where it starts. And that can come down to a a range of things. Um, When you cried, did your parents console you or were you left to cry it out? As people Mm -hmm. say, Um, you know, how were you received when you needed love and affection? Was love and affection met? Was it not? And and all of that. So um, there's a different range of attachments styles there's four predominant styles the most common styles that you see are anxious or avoidant um, but there's also disorganized attachment which is also referred to as um, anxious avoidant so it's uh, basically a hybrid and then you've got a secure attachment Mm-hmm. So, when we look um, and they kind of sound exactly like what they are, anxious avoidant, one is like overly anxious, overly, and that usually would display itself in um, neediness, clinginess, um, anxiousness within the relationship, a fear of, oh, my God, have I done something wrong? This is kind of more the person that's that, um, typically like... I need us to talk this out and us to fix it right now in this moment, in order for me to feel good and soothed. Mm-hmm. Whereas the avoidant is the opposite to that. The avoidant is shut down. Don't want to communicate. Uh, I need to go for a drive. I need space. I want to leave the room. It's I want to pretend this isn't even happening right now. And that's how I'm going to
0: relate to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm like, Bye. How, yeah. So, um and then obviously secure is I've just been really secure in the relationship Um and then got disorganized. They, they play out both. Um, usually avoidance are the most anxious of all um mm-hmm. because they're so hyper anxious that they actually need to shut off disassociate numb out yes you know, because this is a fucking lot for me so they usually <laughs> press yeah. a lot of the anxiousness
0: you're talking like directly to me i'm like yup. <laughs> <laughs> let's have a session yeah, um,
1: so yeah. when we look at how that kind of plays a part in selling if you have one of those attachment styles Typically, you're going to exacerbate someone with the opposite wound. So, an anxious attachment style will make a, an avoidant more avoidant. So, let's play into I'm going to just use your avoidance for a second. There, yeah. If you met someone um, in an intimate relationship and they were anxious, they were needy, they were clean, you're probably, like, oh, fuck me. And I'm out. All the way out, right? <laughs> so, that's probably making you go even further avoidant, right? Mm-hmm. Someone being avoidant will make an anxious even more anxious. So if someone's right. leaning out, they're like, why are they leaning out for me? And then all of a sudden they're in a fucking spiral. So mm-hmm. when we look at the same from, a, from somewhat of a, an emotional and a logistical level but also energetics as well, of the dynamics we can be playing um, even without saying anything but the energetics of that with our audience, mm-hmm. if we are anxious, we're going to repel all of the avoidance. So we're, when we're anxious, we are not secure for someone with the wounded attachment style of avoidance to feel safe to lean into the relationship. That's the example of I'm using bunny is Yeah. The relationship to feel they come back into security to feel safe to make an investment. So if I'm doing the anxious right. thing, and a prime example is, hey, here's the link. Have you paid it yet? Are you, like, do you have more questions? Do you have more information? Someone who's an avoidant is like, I'm not fucking buying, like, that, whoa, <laughs> Give me space, right? So basically, in in the most colloquial terms, you've scared them the fuck away, right? Yeah. (laughs) But also if you're an avoidant and somebody's anxious and you're not doing, you're not coming back into a state of security, you're wanting to avoid the conversation, you're wanting to avoid their their questions, you're leaving them on red they're going to be doing their anxious thing and getting even more anxious. They're never going to be able to meet you in security because that's what happens is when someone comes into security, we create a safe environment for someone who's anxious or avoidant to meet us in safety and security. So Mm -hmm. avoidant thing, leaving them on red and things like that, they're going to be too anxious. They're not going to make a purchase or they're going to be the person that anxiously makes a new purchase and then regrets it later, projects on you, wants a refund. So it's never a clean investment. So when mm. we actually look at healing our attachment styles, not only do our relationships get better because obviously that's where it mainly plays out, but we become safe anchors for people to invest in us. The avoidance, we actually have... um we know how to give them space to actually process and give them, and and everyone has different decision making cycles. Usually, the avoidance take longer, so it's hey, I can give you space as long as you need to make a decision. I'm here,
0: you mm-hmm. know. And if
1: someone who's an avoidant, that's like thank you for honoring my decision-making process. That feels really fucking good. Like, thank yeah. you for coming in my DMs and asking me questions and making sure I've checked. And like that That feels really good for them to have space. And then for someone who's anxious and has a lot of questions, you can slow the conversation down. You can mm-hmm. air- questions, but you cannot do the anxious dance with them. Ultimately, they get their question answered. They feel back into a neutral state. And then they either get to go to, okay, that investment wasn't right for me, or this feels really good. And they're not going to then do the in-out refund behavior and things like that. So ultimately, you're making sure you turn the wrong people away and you bring the right people in because you're grounded to do so.
0: That is super interesting. So do you feel like that's probably more like only um, uh, applicable in like say coaching circumstances where there's maybe that larger sum of money and you know there's a bit of content for them to kind of review before a commitment on a purchase is made or do you think you could also is there a way to implement that for like e-commerce or not really because it's like how do you know your consumer
1: so, I think that, um, we can, it can be across any industry in the board. Okay. Um, I do believe it's most effective or most, um, gonna be the most obvious in any service based industry. So. Mm-hmm. I- don't yep. necessarily think the sum of money is relevant, but that could be an on like a gym floor PT, it could be a physiotherapist, yeah, it could be a psychologist, it could be a lash tech like anyone who is basically there's a service and and there's communication around investing in that service. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, even you look at um, and I, I won't use the company saying, but Even I know for me, I used to be anxious, right? And I remember Mm -hmm. when I used to shop and I would walk into this particular well-known store and all of their staff were trained to be on you within two seconds and to keep asking you questions. I eventually started avoiding that store altogether. Yeah. (laughs) Because I was like, I want to go in there and just, fucking browse like I don't want the salesy. hey how are you going can I help you anything what size do you want do you know what I mean so things like that so even when we look at com- company culture and what can feed down into a company it's really anyone that that's on the floor so when we look at e-commerce for example that can be customer service support people that can be anything where there's a conversation between two humans mm-hmm. we be looking at our attachment styles
0: That is really, really fascinating. Like that's just, I feel like that's such a good, um, you know, amazing explanation of it. And I guess I'm sure other people listening to this will have, their interest will have been piqued and they can purchase one of your courses to find out, like really get granular with that. But that's absolutely fascinating and it does make so much sense, like a lot of sense, um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I literally was, while you were talking, I was thinking of a, um, there was a, this course that I was going to buy like a couple of months ago and they sent me like 50 emails and I was like, I'm stressed. I was like, I literally like block, delete. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I just, yeah, they kind of, I feel like eventually they would have closed the sale with me if they just like chilled the fuck out. But I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's and so that to know
1: too, because even a secure buy, because you can, you can be secure, Right, mm. which means you can make very secure decisions. But a secure buyer won't invest in someone that's being anxious or avoidant. So, right, like say for me as and I am an example, I'm I'm secure now through healing. <laughs> yeah, um, but if I was going to invest in someone, I could tell that they're doing the anxious dance or they're doing the avoidant thing, and I would potentially just not purchase because I want to invest in secure, meet secure. So mm. there, there's always like we can pull people in and out of their their styles too, and someone can be um, for example, uh secure majority of the time, but they usually have a default and they can do right. things that trigger their default. Same thing happens in relationships. Someone can be secure, but something could happen which triggers someone back into anxiousness, right? Yeah. Um, so in um, business and things like that, if we're not secure for people and if someone is secure, we can pull them into anxiousness or we can push them into avoidance depending on like our behaviour as well. So it, it is a very, very deep and complex conversation but it absolutely has impact on your sales and whether people want to follow through with an investment or not.
0: So fascinating. That's, yeah, I love that. That's really cool. Um, I wanted to loop back to um, a question I had uh, a little bit earlier, kind of linked in with that self-esteem element. Um, how did, how did you build like your own self brand? Like what, you know, obviously that's a long-winded question, but I guess what are your, you know, your, your main priorities or your main pointers of advice for, you know, building a personal brand that has, um, impact because, you know, from an outsider looking at, you know, what you've, you've created, I think it's like, it's, great and it's amazing and it's like I'm sure there are so many people out there that you know just really want to start a personal brand but don't know you know where to begin so what what are your main pointers
1: yeah so I would say and and I there's like a range of different themes of this but I would say two of the biggest things that come into play is positioning based on two areas your expertise and your personality So when we look at personal brand, there has to be something which feels obvious of this is what you're known for. This is what you're good at. These are the conversations you have. I know I'm going to get that theme from you. But then also there needs to be I know who you are. I know what you stand for. I know your humor. I know your personality. So with when we look at it, and I use the word expertise, but really there can be, there's brands that don't have an expertise, but it's basically like, this is what I'm known for. So Mm -hmm. it's like, what are you known for? And then who you are. And ultimately, when we look at that from a lens of, let's use the example of expertise. Let's just say my expertise is I'm a gut health specialist, right? There's going to be 30,000 different gut health specialists. Why do they want to work with me? instead of Sally, right? Yeah. That's going to come down to personality. So if if we all tick similar boxes when it comes to area of expertise, and I believe personality can sometimes override expertise. So this is where there's no right or wrong. You literally can't fuck it up. You're going to be wrong for some people and you're going to be right for others. The only way you fuck it up is who you're presenting yourself is, isn't actually congruent with who you are. So, mm-hmm. so long as you're actually being authentic in, in that and really showcasing your personality online, you're always going to find a client for that. And again, with your expertise or what you're known for, or the conversations you want to have, you're always going to find a person that's a match for that as well. So this mm-hmm. is where you get to come back into what do I want to be known for? What do I want to be really good at? What problem do I want to solve for people? Or what solution do I want to provide? Depending on what your area of expertise is and who am I and what actually feels like a a representation of my personality. So even looking at something as simple as I believe every single person on the face of the earth has humor. Whether that yeah. humor is activated within you or not is a different story. But do you have the capacity for humor? Yes. However, a lot of people don't identify it within themselves and they don't identify their style of humor. So some people's style of humor is sarcastic. Some people have crude humor, dark humor, witty humor. Um, people have... Um, there is just like so many different themes when it comes to people's style of, of what they find funny. There's goofy humor. There's just so many different styles. But if we can connect with the part of us that ultimately we understand and we see ourselves. This is where self-awareness work is really important. Mm-hmm. When we know who we are, it's very easy to be congruent with who we are. And so long as there's a lot of authenticity around that and people can see what you do and they can see who you are, you're going to build a strong personal brand.
0: I love it. I love that. I guess yeah, everything kind of loops back to that understanding who you are at a core at your core yeah. level, and you're not working um, around these like ideas of who you should be. So um, yeah, it's it's great that everything really does um, you know circle back. Um, something else that I saw that you work with that I wanted to ask you about is, and I'll read the quote: um, "Integrate um, in." In order to achieve a logical growth, you integrate yep. delusion, right? Yeah. So I didn't quote that actually. I messed that <laughs> up. You didn't. You said it way better. I misquoted. But <laughs> on your website, you have a course about you say like be. It's I think it's called like be a delusional bitch or something like that. Yep. Is that yep. correct? Delusional yeah. Delusional bitch. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like. I love that. What does she mean? And I'm like, I think I kind of get where you're going with that. But um, I love that concept. And I wanted you to expand on like what you mean by being delusional and like what, like how that works to, to, to impact our lives positively. Yeah. So when we look at um, playing with delusion
1: and we come back to what I was speaking about earlier, which is concept of self and ego work and things like that, unfortunately sometimes and and there's dark shadow work where people can't see their own lying manipulation cheating but there's also light shadow work that's where people can't see their own power their own magnetism their own articulation and things like that as well so what happens when people can't fully see the good within themselves is they tend to downplay things so if someone for an example let's just play with the example someone doesn't believe they articulate themselves well and I see this all the fucking time of people Mm -hmm. just not articulate I can't articulate myself well and it's complete another bullshit I'm like you're fucking like a boss at articulating yourself and it's like how do you not see that but if someone has that belief and they can't articulate themselves and they get invited onto a podcast they're gonna say no they're gonna be Mm. like if fucking not! I'm going to muddle up my words. I can't articulate myself very well. I'm going to look like an idiot. They're not going to go live on Instagram because what if I fuck up? I can't start it again, which which is a whole different thing. They're potentially not going to want to do live courses. Like there's going to be so many things that they don't allow themselves to do, and as a result of not doing the live, not launching the course, not being guests on the podcast, there's a part of them that their business isn't growing. And you can apply this to realms outside of business as well. But for the example, we'll say with business but your business is going to make less money because you're getting less visibility because you're not putting yourself out there because you're holding onto the belief that you can't articulate yourself. And that's Mm -hmm. just one example, but that can play out in in a variance of ways. So we play ourselves down. So with delusion and playing with delusion, it's kind of like tapping into an obnoxious frequency where you overly give yourself the most generous interpretation. So Mm -hmm. that's like what if I actually am just hot fucking shit? No, I love it. <laughs> but if- yeah what if I actually am smart? What if I actually am like magnetic? What if people love working with me? What if they want to hear what I have to say? What if the way I word and articulate things is incredible? And Mm. then you play with this idea of really playing into this obnoxious energy and almost feeling delusional. And the why I say delusional is you feel like you are being ignorant to where you're actually at because you feel, for example, let's use intelligence. You feel stupid, yet you're telling yourself you're smart and you're like, I'm delusional. I'm not that smart. So, feel like mm. delusion but this is the the coolest element you're actually not being delusional you're just seeing yourself for who you actually are and Absolutely. when you start when you look at if someone again thought they were stupid and then they decide that they're smart you decide to move in alignment with someone that thinks they're smart so you go okay well now that I'm deciding in this fucking moment that I am smart how would I move what decisions am I making what am I saying yes to what am I saying no to so mm start moving and making decisions and you invest in things or you say yes to things that you otherwise wouldn't have and as a result of your moves elevating to match that new mindset you're getting situations um, getting drawn in where again increased visibility more people know who you are making more connections collaborating more clients that's magnetic they're signing word of mouth things like that because you're actually performing better so as a result of performing better, you get a better outcome. And that better outcome then creates a story of, wow, I actually am that. Because look yeah. like so you're building the new evidence. Where there's an unclean integration of delusion is when it's entitlement or whether it's actually ignorance. But what we want to play with is the art of What if I actually got to see myself in my full power and gave myself the most positive uh, interpretation and Mm. even though part of me is questioning that's not true, I'm just going to choose to believe that and play with that as a moment and that's Mm. ultimately where people have ridiculous spikes in their business growth, income, um, health goals and things because they're moving in accordance with the version of themselves that they feel like they're being delusional but they're actually not.
0: That's a really good distinction. Yeah, I love that. It's almost as if you're just acting as the person that you want to become. And then in, in, in a roundabout way, it's like a little circle. It's like, okay, you're acting like it. So therefore you have to be it. And it's like just breaking that mold of like, the discomfort of being like, oh shit, I've thought I'm like the worst person ever for like however many years of my life. Now to say I'm like a hot bitch, your brain's like, sorry, what? You're saying what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, again, it's come back, comes back to that language and like comes back to um, just that repetition of what you say in your head. So um, I love that you say that there's a lot of interesting, um, you know, things out there about creating an alter ego and like the language you use. So yeah, I think it's amazing that you have a course on that. Um, One last question to close off um, our podcast. You've really dropped some major like bombs, so many gems. So thank you so much so far. Um, What is your, um, what significance does emotional resilience have on work, but also in just life in general? And how do we build emotional resilience? How can we tell if we're emotionally a little bit um, weak for lack of better word? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I believe when people have low levels of emotional resilience, and I'm going to, I'm going to use that word interchangeably with emotional intelligence as well. Mm -hmm. Basically, what that means is someone has a very poor ability to manage or regulate their emotions, um, Mm -hmm. in, in any circumstance. So if we look at the flip side of that, it doesn't mean that you, feel less emotions, it means I can feel all of my emotions, but I'm better at managing them. That's what high yeah. emotional intelligence is. I'm very, very intelligent at being able to manage my emotional state. Mm-hmm. So when we look um typically with with a lot of people, first of all, and I'll speak more to the resilience things, we can't build our resilience unless we're building our capacity of something, right? So we look at resilience as um, if there were really, you wouldn't be feeling resilience with something you've done a thousand times. That would mm. be cool. So the only time we're ever going to feel resilience is when we're on the edge of our comfort zone, which means there's a growth capacity. So it's acknowledging, first of all, wow, I'm only feeling resilience because this isn't comfortable because it's actually growing me. Um, mm-hmm. and then the second thing is where a lot of people struggle to grow and struggle and they if they feel the uh lack, they feel low resilience levels and they want to falter back. They want to go back into safety, back into comfort zone, back into my patterns. So when we look at resilience, it's being able to meet the edge of resistance and push through. Mm-hmm. That requires emotional intelligence in order for you to be able to do that. And the first issue I see is a lot of people want to fix their mindset before they do the thing. So as a prime example, and I'm just going to use the most basic example, someone wanting to post an Instagram story talking, right? For a lot of people that have a business, like God forbid, someone hears me fucking speaking on my (laughs) socials. So if someone doesn't want to do that, they're going to go, oh, I want to work on my mindset before I can talk on my stories. I want to do some journaling and I want to do a somatic process and I want to work with a coach and I want to, and they're trying to do all these things so they feel comfortable to do the thing. Very little works that way. Very, yeah. very little. Cool. Can you mindset yourself into confidence doing something you've never done? Mm. Usually the way out is through and that is just talk on your fucking Instagram stories. Yeah. Can it be terrifying? And you go, "Oh my god, holy fucking shit!" And I did it anyway. And usually, and even when we speak of a logical growth, this is where people grow faster because they're not waiting for ten freaking embodiment practices in order to feel good to do something. They do the thing, and go, "Oh my gosh, I didn't die." Wow, yeah. cool. Mm. Oh my gosh, and then the second time it's not as hard, and then the third time it's not as hard, and then the fourth time it's not as hard. So. That's what I would say first and foremost is can you? It's, I know it's cliche, but feel the fear and do it anyway. That's how mm-hmm. you can be resilience. Um, the second thing, when we speak of more emotional intelligence, is in a state where you're feeling emotionally dysregulated of any kind, that can also be excitement, by the way, but anything mm-hmm. that's bringing you out of your borderline. So, excitement, fear, insecurity, doubt, anxiousness, whatever, and you're f- having an emotional state. Having high emotional intelligence is being able to regulate your actions and behavior even when you're having an internal response. Mm -hmm. So as an example, I'm going to play with a business example of this again. If I'm in the middle of launching and selling something, Mm -hmm. no one's buying it. And I've talked about it five times. No one's buying it. There's a fucking tumbleweed floating by. And I start having getting anxious and going, oh, my gosh, no one's buying this offer. I put so much time into it. I put money into it. I've invested in this. Oh, my gosh, I look stupid. If I talk about it again, I look desperate. They're starting to go into the emotional spiral. Emotional intelligence will determine what they then do and their next move as a result of what they're feeling emotionally. So Mm -hmm. low emotional intelligence would go, I'm feeling anxious. I'm looking desperate. This is too much. I'm just going to stop talking about it. Mm Mm-hmm. High levels of emotional intelligence would go, this is feeling a lot. No one's buying. I feel like I look desperate and I'm going to post again anyway. So it's just being able to, when you're having an emotional experience, what behavior do you do? What actions do you do? And do you lead yourself powerfully through that? Or do you resort back to an old pattern and basically come back and withdraw? Because if you withdraw every time, you're never moving beyond the brink, which means you're never growing as well.
0: I love that. I mean, I, the word resilience in itself, you know, I don't know why I didn't think of emotional resilience in the way that you explained it, but you need to come up against yourself in order to build strength. It's like when you go to the gym, it's like, you can't be doing like, you know, nothing and expecting to build a muscle. It's like, you constantly are coming up against yourself and you're going, okay, I overcame that. That's a sticker on sticker for me. I did it again. And then you just, yeah, you build that Um, that strength. So that's Mm -hmm. an amazing, um, it's an amazing explanation. And I can definitely relate to that. Like even like, um, especially like for my skincare um, business, like, you know, posting more of myself and putting more of myself out there. Like in the beginning I was like, oh, I like, hate this, like, I hate it, but you know, you do it and then you're like, okay, what? Like, did someone like message me like, and say you're a loser? No. And even if they did whatever, it's like, you know, you come up against it, and you realize that you're like stronger for it. So um, that's a it's a really good way that you described it there, and I think um, it's um, something that's so important for people to become conscious of and to work on because, yeah, like you say, the only way um, the only way over it is through, or however yeah. how, however yeah. we say it, yeah, like you need to just go for it because I think you know wanting to have the skill set before doing it is like you know, another, um, you know, little loophole that your mind's putting you through of saying like, no, 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 you can't do this unless you do that. So it's just like, do the thing. Um, yeah. yeah
1: that's... So often when you, when you do the thing that your mind's like, oh, I can do that when this happens. Yeah. Yeah. That- and then there's another when oh no, no, yes. no actually, i just need this and oh no nope, i just need this and you say stuck in the loophole and yeah. it's interesting because you look at you like how much do you require resilience to brush your teeth in the morning right exactly it doesn't require resilience because it's easy and you've done it so many times before do you mm. do you say that you grow and evolve every time you brush your teeth also mm. probably because you're doing the same thing. So when we look at anywhere that there's going to be resistance, it's usually because it's something hard or challenging and anything that we can allow ourselves to push through a limitation of the hard or the challenging, that's where growth happens. So um, it's, it's, it's cool. Like just seeing, and this is where it's like playing with your potential and things like that as well, which is cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what you said just there made me think of one thing of like that pain and pleasure balance. Like you know, when people talk about, you know, you get that dopamine from after you do something painful and Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, just give a basic like physical example. It's like, you know, you have a cold shower and you're like, oh, fuck my life. Like I hate it. I hate it. And then you get out and like, you go, whoa, like I did that. That was amazing. And it's like, I think something that I've tried to leverage, which I'm sure you probably in some ways do for your clients as well, is like leveraging that pain pleasure, like threshold and being like, you know, if you, you know, you get addicted to that, like if I push, if I do this, if I force myself to change, like, you know that you're going to be better at, at the other end of it. So, um, yeah, I, I love that you made that distinction. It's a really, um, amazing. So I've learned so much just from chatting with you for, it hasn't even been that long, but it's been, yeah. um, yeah, it's been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can people find you? Um, Instagram, obviously I'll link that down below, um, and your website, um, What have you got currently or anything upcoming that you want to let people know about?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram just at Jesse Williams, um, And then mm-hmm. also in terms of all the courses and stuff that you mentioned, obviously that's on my website, which is just www.jessiewilliams.com.au. Mm-hmm. Um, currently live at the moment, we are running Tenacity, which is basically a mindset program for entrepreneurs. Um, so cool. In terms of pre-recorded, um, I would recommend if anyone really liked the conversation on like selling, attachment style, stuff like that, I do have a sales course um, which very much goes into biopsychology, attachment styles, how that impacts your selling and things like that, um, you can buy that and get instant access. That's on my website as well. So I would recommend that course
0: too. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, like I said, for everyone listening, I'll pop all of Jessie's details down below, but um, yeah, definitely reach out and work with her if this conversation resonated. Thank you. Thank you.